from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode number 124. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Apron, Eero, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How the devil are you today, sir? Oh, very good, very good. Back another week in the in the saddle. I'm I'm. Last week was tough because it was uh, come back from vacation time, but I'm 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 settling in now. I'm I'm in a much better state than I was last week when we were talking after my after my just like the night before flown back from vacation. I'm I'm in a better place now. Good. Follow up this week is really peculiar. Um, we have a smattering of things that stretch back multiple shows. Mm. Well, this happens this time of year where, you know, we have a lot of things that uh, echo from when we were doing show Because we did, we did last week's show, but then we did, like, we skipped a week because we had the upgradees. And mm-hmm. it, it happens. That's okay. It's, it's January. Weird stuff happens in January. So the first thing is that uh, last week we were talking about the Amazon Echo and we were discussing wake words and, and that kind of thing. And it turns out, I saw this from a friend of the show, Joe Steele tweeted this from uh, Amazon Fire TV News, which is a, a just a very yeah. niche product website, mm-hmm. um, that apparently the Amazon Echo is going to be receiving uh, an update to allow the phrase computer as a new wake word. Um, apparently there's some kind of Star Trek joke in here. Yeah, well, that's that's how they talk to computers, right? Okay. In, in Star Trek, is it's just that it's it's you know computer and program or whatever you mm-hmm. hello oh, hello computer uh, all of that sort of thing is a it's sort of a Star Trek reference. Computer is a terrible wake word. It would be triggered constantly. I I agree. I agree. And um. It, it yeah it's it's really weird um i don't know whether they thought of this maybe as a as a as a joke if it's even a real thing i'm not even sure uh, we talked about this last time the uh i i feel that two step phrases are the way you do this because then it's a lot easier to steer clear like people were saying you know what if you are somebody with the name of of Amazon's digital assistant. Yeah. Amazon's wake word is that name. There's no context to it. You literally just say the name, and there are lots of things that can set that off, at least with, and I can name them now, at least with Siri and Google, you can't just say the word. You have to add a, a little uh, a, a greeting kind of word on the front of it. And it's that two word phrase that triggers it. And that's the way to do it. So, you know, if Amazon wanted to make it like, Hey computer or hello computer, like Scotty and Star Trek four or okay computer, which would be very Radiohead, I would like that. That would all be good. I think Amazon actually needs to provide that as an option I for agree. all of their triggers is, is some, some uh, phrase that is not just a name. I think that was a mistake when they did it. And, um, at least as an option, right? I mean, and, and again, the more options you've got here, the better, I think in letting people kind of customize for how they, you know, who they are and what their names are and how they live their life. But, um, I, I think I, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, we- it's weird though. Cause that's like, uh, a noun. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's well, James in the James Thompson in the chat room has said that, uh, the PlayStation four uses the term PlayStation to trigger its, uh, voice control. <laughs> yeah. 
Which yeah. and, and I think that uh, Xbox did Xbox, which was the problem with that ad that we spoke about. Yeah, exactly. Um, th- that's terrible. I mean, I, as I say, I, I still stand by the fact that I think that Amazon got it right by giving it a name, like which was which was different to the product name. But I do yes, agree, I agree with you that it would be good to have the two step, like two two word phrase. I prefer single word phrases because if you're talking to this thing all the time, it's just nicer to have the one word. But I do agree it would be good to have uh, the choice of things. Um, and and if Amazon seemed to be willing to add new wake words, I don't think that this would be too difficult as a thing to add. Right. And the dream is that you should be able to give it whatever wake phrase that you want, but uh, mm-hmm. it's not the technology is not good enough to do that yet. I agree. Uh, many weeks ago, um, someone write in, wrote in, I think their name was Steve, and they were talking about um, having the uh, larger of the Apple TVs. You know, it's like the 64. Right. I think, was it like 32 and 64 or is it 64 and 128? I think it's 32 and 64, but so, I don't really know because it's never mattered. <laughs> yeah, so there was a 32-gigabyte Apple TV and a 64-gigabyte Apple TV, and he wrote in uh, kind of questioning what that would be used for and if he was future-proofing himself, that kind of thing. And at the time, this was you know maybe towards the end of the last year, we kind of said, no, there is absolutely no point in having the larger of the two Apple TVs. This has now potentially changed um, over the last few days. Uh, I think Taylor of last week, Apple announced to the developer portal um, that they are increasing the size limit available to for a downloaded application to uh, from two hundred megabytes to four gigabytes, which is a significant change. Um, We've also now on-demand resources. So this is a, these are the resources that can download uh, when you need them, um, which is which is great. Can be twenty gigabytes. So uh, it was 200 megabytes up front and 20 gigabytes before, um, as I can see from Steve Trouton-Smith, who was tweeting about this. But now the initial download of 4 gigabytes, um, that is a, a really great thing for games because it means that they can download more higher assets immediately so the game can be played uh, for when it's downloaded as opposed to downloading a small subset and then needing to immediately uh, dip into the 20 gigabytes of uh, on-demand resources. Right. I don't know why Apple have done this specifically. I think that there is a reason that they have done it. Um, like there is maybe a partner that they want to work with because it's such a huge increase. It feels like that there is a reason behind it, um, which do you know what I mean? Like 200 megabytes to four gigabytes is s- extremely significant as a, as a change. Yeah, it's it's a it's got to be that there's somebody either they got feedback from some some existing partners or there's somebody who is coming that they were like okay we can we can do that for you um yep. that they're 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 being more vigilant about storage or, or i guess you could also argue that another factor may be that they're looking at the uptake of apps on apple tv and realizing that being quite that diligent at um you know, minding the storage space on these devices and being concerned that everybody's apps yeah. are going to crowd the space, they may realize now that that's just not happening mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that they can loosen that and it's not a problem. But whatever it is, um, this does make it a bit more viable for games. I just hope that Apple is able to do something to try and lure people in because uh, we're going to talk about this a little later on in the show. The Apple TV app landscape is barren at best <laughs> right now. I so I, I will also we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to speaking of friend of the show Joe Steele he wrote a blog post that includes both uh, his analysis of the uh, change in resource caps and some what he likes to call 
rampant speculation about the Apple TV. And Joe's theory is that one of the things that they're going to do is that there's a new Apple TV coming, and maybe this is the 4K, UHD, HDR-capable, fancier model. And it might be, uh, you know, his his uh, theory here is it allows them to drop the old Apple TV out of the price list, uh, move the current generation down a, a slot, and then bring in a couple new models with more storage and support for UHD on top so the the 4K, uh, you know, 4K Apple TV version, maybe that's something there. There, there are things about about size. Um, I mean, what what Joe suggests is maybe they actually will offer a first party controller. I think that's an interesting theory. I think one of the problems with games on Apple TV, I know they 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 promote the steel case controller right they have but a couple it's not quite that, the same. that they promote but the, uh, see the thing is about the, the controller and i've made this argument in the past it doesn't matter how good a third-party controller is to show you are serious about games you have to make one yourself like that is a commitment to the seriousness of video games right which is we believe in this in our platform so much that we've put the engineering time into building our own controller like it is it, it is a sign which is important yeah, friend of friend of the show Joe Steele reminds us that friend of the show James Thompson is the one who originated that theory, by the way, and then Joe just blogified it <laughs> and expanded upon it. But uh, I don't know. I mean, we, one of the interesting things about Apple TV, uh, like like you were saying too, is is a lot of potential here, right? And it's just not, you know, Apple has been very limited in what it's doing. So if it supported, you know, 4K and it, it, what if Apple did make a, a, a actual game controller and was more aggressive in getting games uh, built for it and you know there there are lots of things they could try. Lots of things they could try and they haven't really tried a lot of them yet. So maybe and maybe this is a sign that there's movement happening on on the Apple TV front that that is, you know, maybe this is happening out in front of other changes. I don't know. We'll see. All right, we also got some uh, some follow up about five K displays. Now, this is a a conversation that has been oh, yes. long running on this show as to what devices could and could not power these five K displays, what dongles would be needed, etc. Um, and we had somebody who wrote in wrote in us to be uh, kept anonymous. They're an Apple retail employee, um, and they sent us an image about how they are being instructed to swap out existing displays for Mac Pros um, for the new five K display. And he's included, or she has included, the uh, a picture of the dongles that is, yeah, and the cables that are happening here. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but what we're seeing is a Thunderbolt three to Thunderbolt two adapter of a Thunderbolt two cable running to a Mac Pro, and it's working with the five K display, right? Yeah, this is the how do you demo the fancy five K display? And the Mac Pro instead of the old Thunderbolt display, which has been discontinued. And the answer is you use a Thunderbolt 2 to Thunderbolt 3 adapter. And then the Thunderbolt 3 adapter goes into the display. And that works, although I believe it doesn't work at 5K, 5K 60 hertz. I think it maybe only works at maybe 4K resolution at 60 hertz. I'm not sure about the all the details. It's not ideal. But it does allow them to demo it in Apple stores. And I think it's also funny that we think of, of display out as mini display port. But in this case, since it's actually taking the um, what this what this monitor wants is Thunderbolt, you need to use a Thunderbolt adapter. 
and then it does apparently work. And this person, uh, I don't actually know f- for sure if it is a man or a woman, but this person, who, who it's another friend of the show, let's say, a, a listener, an yep. Upgradian, sent this in and, and had been telling us that this was kind of going on in the background about how they were going to demo this stuff and with a Mac Pro. And this is the uh, this is the solution. And we got a photo of it sort of like zip-tied together, this whole kind of adapter dance to get it to, to work at all. It, I think it's kind of a miracle that it works at all, that you can attach that Mac Pro to that thing and it will drive it at all. <laughs> Quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, again, this this isn't like a groundbreaking thing, but it's 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 kind of tying up a loose end that we weren't uh, that we weren't sure about, right? Which was, will this thing actually work? And the answer is, yeah, it will. So, but at least we know now. I'll put a link to the yeah. photo in 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 the uh, in the show notes in case you're yeah. in case you're so inclined mm, uh, to good. want to check this, such it, things. It is fascinating to me from the perspective of real-world consequences of Apple's product decisions. Like, Apple makes product decisions, and we can say, oh, well, that was interesting, but I understand why they did that. And then the the, the fallout tends to be that the users have to deal with the fallout, right? But with an Apple retail, Apple retail has to also deal with the fallout of weird things happening with Apple's product line. And this is a good example of that, where they've got Mac Pros that are three years old, but they've got demo stations with them that were set up with a Thunderbolt display. But the Thunderbolt bolt display got discontinued so now what do they do and it's like well the 5k display we want to display that it's beautiful okay we can do that but we can't really do that so how do we you know we adapt it and all of that and that it's just a kind of a funny uh example where people who work for apple have to deal with fallout from apple product decisions in a way that maybe you know the people who are on the apple campus in cupertino don't have to deal with it i just used a workflow a new workflow that i created um, for that image to remove photo metadata. Oh, nice. So I'll also include a, include a link to that workflow in the show notes because why not? Um, but yeah, that that was one that I, that I worked on recently. Um, yes. You just you just you throw some photos at it and it will remove the metadata from them because I figured so this person you. wanted to be, remain anonymous yes. and I would do my best to <laughs> accommodate that. So thank you, anonymous listener. We'll call them the uh, the upgrade tipster. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> oh dear. This week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Blue Apron, a new sponsor for Upgrade, Mr. Jason Snell. Yay. Um, I noticed one that you're excited about. Let me tell you what Blue Apron is. Blue Apron is a company who's on a mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system while setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. Now, let me tell you what Blue Apron does. You pay them less than $10 a meal, and they will deliver seasonal recipes with fresh, high-quality ingredients for you so you can make delicious home-cooked meals. They give you all of the instructions that you're going to need, and they give you all of those ingredients in these little pre-proportioned cartons and bags. Everything that you need for the recipe is there, all of the ingredients, and they only send you what you need. So you won't have waste, and it's really great, and it means that you know you don't have to buy a bag of something just to make this one recipe, and then you've got that bag sitting in your pantry for a long time, which you just don't want to have to deal with. All of their minutes, all of their uh, meals can be made in less than forty minutes, so it's a really great thing for you when you get home from work. You can put one of these recipes on, and you're good to go. You can customize your recipes for each uh, each week based on your dietary preferences, and you can also choose the delivery option yeah. that fits you the best. Which is really great. I heard you uh, like yesing in the background. Yes. There, the, well, so customizing is a big deal because we have uh, some particular 
uh, foods that we don't eat in this family. And then we've got some particular picky eaters in this family. And so one of the great things about Blue Apron for us is that you can go on their website and change the menu. You're not locked into two meals. For us, it's two meals a week for four people. Some people, I, I think you get three for two people. Um, and so we click the change menu button and you get to choose from what the different meals are that are offered that week. Um, and you get to build your own menu of, in our case, the two meals that we want that, that we think are going to be most popular. And even better than that, another, another thing that I think was putting me off before we started using the service, we've been using this for more than a year now, um, is that if the, it's just not speaking to you or you're really busy and you, you're not going to be able to make two meals that week, um, you can just skip. And they skip you, and you don't pay for that week. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not like credit you have to use later. It's not you. You still get charged. You don't have food waste. You just say, "I'm going to skip that week," and you don't get a box that week. And then the next week, you know, you get the meals that you selected on their website. It could be easier. And and for me, that relieved a lot of my stress about like, what if they send us a food we don't want or a, a food that that people in our family can't eat? And uh, that's all just kind of gone away. It's not yes, a problem. This is one of the great things about Blue Apron. They have a, an extensive level of choice, right? So, for example, you can cook things like burgers and red cabbage slaw with creamy sriracha sauce and roasted sweet potato. Or maybe you want mushrooms and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime sour cream. Or maybe you're really hankering for some spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and furukake, right? Like a big selection of food. But you can go in and check each week and choose from a long list. They have a long list of things that you can go in and check for. And it's not a subscription service in that regard, right? You pay when you want. And there's no there's no commitment at all, as Jason said. You just get the deliveries when you want them. And Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental United States. Blue Apron sets the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. They know that when you cook with the freshest ingredients that support a more sustainable food system, you can make incredible meals. Go and check out this week's menu and get three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash upgrade. Now, I love all of our sponsors, but this is one of the greatest deals. You get free food to try this thing out. Three yep. meals for free with free shipping. Blueapron.com slash upgrade. Like, there is no reason to not try this out. It is free food. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Visit blueapron.com slash upgrade. And we thank Blue Apron for their support of this show and Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Oh, yeah. Free I'm looking at, uh I'm looking at two weeks out, and my options are pesto shrimp, mm-hmm. pimento cheeseburgers, oh. spinach and sweet potato quesadillas, and cashew chicken stir-fry. We can't talk like, about I this I want anymore. all four. Can Please. I have all four of those? And the answer is no. I, I need to pick two, but... What a choice I have to make there. Anyway, We're recording yeah. a little later than usual today, and I haven't had my dinner yet, hungry? so we can't talk about this yeah. anymore. I haven't had my lunch either, so yeah. All right, just a little uh, little topic we want to touch on very quickly, because it's big news, but it's um, it maybe doesn't affect me and Jason so so closely, which is the departure of Chris Latner from Apple. Right. Now, uh, right. I will say right now, if you are at all interested in this and have not listened to, the, to this week's uh, three-time Upgrady award-winning podcast, The Accidental Tech Podcast, uh, you should go listen to episode 204. They go into a lot of detail explaining why Chris is important and what this could mean for Apple um, and for the community of developers that are uh, tied to Apple, right? Whether all right, I haven't listened outside. to that one yet. Should I go listen to that now and then come back? Yeah, you go take two hours and then I'll keep going. <laughs> And then I'll see you talking. at the end. 
just yeah keep it keep the ball uh rolling while i'm gone and All then right. i'll come back and tell you what i think of the, about atp at the end of it the uh we're not developers either you and i we we yeah. are we are people who think about write about talk about technical things for uh apple products and other stuff but we are we're not coders focused. we are the product focused yeah. uh, part of, of apple kind of observing uh whilst those guys are more cody yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have a relationship with swift and with clang and llvm that a developer might have these are the things that chris that chris created basically um, yeah most notably today he's the creator of swift yeah he he was sort of the first person working on swift as it gained momentum and then you know obviously all of these things have large numbers of people involved and that's something that several people including chris latner said after it came out that he was leaving that like there there are lots of people working on this it's not just him you know it's not he said it's not a problem the 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 and in fact he's still gonna because a lot of this is open source uh project stuff he's going to keep his hand in but he is leaving apple and going to work at tesla to work on i believe they said the software involved in the autopilot yeah he's going to become the svp for the autopilot team yeah so that's a that's a first off that's a pretty great step for him career wise mm-hmm. and he'd been at apple a long time um i think uh you know again people should listen to atp if they want to hear uh those guys perspective on it because i think that's got to be i'm looking forward to doing that when i walk the dog later probably um but w- i do think it's worth mentioning it because this is an interesting example and there was somebody else um who left apple for tesla this yeah. week who's actually one of one of the, this a guy matt Casebolt, who mm-hmm. who worked apparently on the MacBook Pro, the new MacBook Pro that came out. He was also the lead of the Mac Pro team. The trash can Mac Pro, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think there's a bigger question that we've talked about before about brain drain at Apple. And my first thought, and and uh, I read a, Ben Thompson at Stratechery wrote a, a piece last week about, um, I think just on his email, I think not a public piece, um, about this issue. And he said, you know, there is the reality of the fact that Apple is a... Apple is a company where you're maintaining uh, maintaining incredibly profitable products, um, and Tesla is a company where they are trying to build new things. And, um, you know, you can oversimplify that and overstate that because Apple's trying to do new things. The, the AirPods are a good example of something that's very different. Um, the Touch Bar is an example of something that's got a lot of interesting things in it. But Apple as a company is a mature, successful, incredibly profitable company that wants to keep raking in the profits. And Tesla is a new company that's trying to do things in a category that's new. And uh, what I'm saying is that I think for some people, the opportunity, I mean, everybody's got different career goals and everybody has a different mindset when they're thinking about their job. But I think for some people, the opportunity to do something like work at Tesla on that new stuff is going to be more appealing than kind of, you know, working within a large Apple that is maintaining, uh, you know, maintaining a customer base and a code base and trying to keep everything running. It's just, it's a very different kind of environment. And I could see how for some people, they feel like the job's done at Apple in some way. And that there's a there's this exciting new adventure to have at Tesla or other companies like that, and that that's why they step out on their own. And I think that's a challenge for Apple. Is um, and and this is something that I know we've talked about before too. When we talked about Project Titan, the idea of doing an Apple car is like you've also got your challenge of keeping your talented people at Apple if they want new challenges. You could put them on your new projects at Apple in order to keep them, but. 
even then, the same thing has happened, which is the the key products that you have, that you do make money from, that you want to keep making money from, the iPhone, the iPad, the Mac, the Apple TV, the Apple Watch, all of these things, there still is the potential for a brain drain. Because even if you're just moving them within Apple to special projects, you're moving them off of what they were working on before. So I do think, I don't think it's like the number one challenge facing Apple, but I think it's got to be a challenge. And, And when you see two high profile Apple people who are responsible for building important parts of Apple's product foundation, leaving to go to Tesla, which is also really interesting, right? Because they make cars. Um, Although, you know what? They told us uh, that cars are the ultimate mobile device, so I guess we should listen. Um, It's enough to, to make you notice and wonder what, you know, what the processes are behind that. Yeah, We've been talking so much recently about what the future of technology is, right? And, 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 what Apple could potentially do for growth. And, you know, we've spoken about VR and that kind of stuff, but car tech and self-driving tech is is another strand of technology, which isn't personal computing, but is a strand of technology, which is um, one of the things in our current purview that could be the future, right? Like it's it's one of the things that a lot of companies are taking bets on because they believe it could be the future, including Apple. Um, But the company right now who is leading that charge is Tesla. And if you're interested in working in the future of technology, they are a company to move to. And one of the things that, um, you know, I was, I was talking to Marco Arment about his Tesla um, on our trip. And, and one of the things that he kept mentioning to me was that how interesting a car it was because they they were not hold they were not held back by an existing infrastructure of building a car, right? Yeah. So everything was new. And this is the same for Apple. Apple already has an institutional way of building products. Yes. Even though it's a car, it's still going to be built in the Apple way. And if you're bored of that, it doesn't matter what they move you to. It's still going to be the Apple way of doing it, right? Like bugs for the car will go through radar, right? Like all of their (laughs) stuff is just their institutional way of building products. And if you don't want to do that anymore, like, and you, like, just moving to a different team is not new and so i don't i can't reconcile in my head if this is an apple problem or just a people problem which apple could never fix i but but i can't work it out in my head as to whether it's like do people just want to work on new things or do people want to get away from apple's way of making things um, and I think it could be a little column A, a little column B, but it doesn't mean that uh, Apple is beleaguered. Um, it just means that they're like they're, a lot of these people that came into this company maybe joined when Apple's a little bit more of the scrappy underdog. And maybe a lot of people don't like yep. that. They're like the biggest company in the world right now because that brings yep. with it a lot of baggage. Um, and I can see why people might want to move to Tesla, who are the scrappy underdog in their world in the car world so i think the the car thing it's also important to say there are lots of other companies that are working on car tech the difference is what you said which is they're car companies they're old car companies and they may be trying oh no but we've got this new division and we put a team together in silicon valley and we're trying to but in the end you know you're still working for ford yep or or Nissan, or whoever you're working for, right? In the end, you are not uh, working 
and if you're a Silicon Valley person, like Tesla, my impression is, is run much more in a more familiar fashion. It's a Silicon Valley company that makes cars. It's not a car company that's got an outpost in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. I think the larger issue for Apple, yeah, is these are, you're looking for very talented, highly technical people who, who should be thinking like Apple is like the ultimate job for them. But the problem is there are lots of really uh, interesting companies in Silicon Valley. So there's a lot of competition for that sort of talent. Um, I do wonder sometimes, and, well, and we've already seen it with how Tim Cook has reversed a lot of the things that were going on in uh, the Steve Jobs era where it was like, no, no, it needs to happen in Cupertino. It's like, you can't do that anymore. You can't make everybody move to Cupertino. And they're not doing that. They've got they've got centers in lots of different places in the world now. And they have to keep doing that, too, because they need more talent. And they're not going to get all of their talent to move to the mothership. They're going to have to be in other places. Um I do wonder sometimes about the corporate culture at Apple, too, and and I've heard lots of different things. Um, I've talked to a lot of people. You know, obviously, the people who work at Apple are a lot more uh, circumspect about this than people who have left Apple or have never been to Apple, but... Uh, the impression I get is Apple's still kind of a hard place to work, especially if you're in these product groups, and that you know you're expected to uh, to devote like your life to Apple, and a lot of Silicon Valley companies are like that. But mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I don't think that that is uh, that that is a unique thing to them. I mean, not every Silicon Valley no. company will work that way, but I would expect Google is the same. And Microsoft is the same. Yeah, but uh, not not every company is like that. And I, I guess what I'm saying is there is a, there is a time when you can afford to work your employees to death and or to near death, mm-hmm. and you can afford to make them all move to California, and you can afford to put them on projects that are not the hottest and most cutting edge products. But hey, they're they're working at Apple, and that should be enough. Uh, yes, you're working on the Apple TV, but you're at Apple and you're, you know, you're in California and that should be enough. And I think it may be that Apple is not at that point anymore where it needs to be. And I think you see it with the de- geographic diversity, for example, that it, it needs to open things up a little bit because what you don't want to do is make Apple a place where the best and brightest don't want to work. Uh, but it's a challenge, right? Because w- <laughs> I've said this before, I know I did it a couple of years ago, and I'll say it again, with no malice toward some of my former colleagues at all, but when I was hiring people to work at PC World, it was very hard, to, especially junior people, it was very hard to find people. And you're like, oh, well, journalism and tech journalism, everybody wants to get a leg up in tech journalism, right? There's so many people out there. It's such a tough business to be in. We had a very hard time hiring people for PC World. Why was that? It's like it was not perceived as a good career move to write about Microsoft and PCs like that was considered old tech. I could get a whole lot of senior level people who've been covering PCs for decades who wanted to work at PC World. But in terms of junior level, entry level people, it was very hard to find people with that level of experience. They were applying to Macworld, right? They they didn't they yeah, they wanted to be at Macworld or Tech Hive or they were gonna work at Engadget or Gizmodo or CNET or The Verge or something like that, right? They wanted they, there was a, a kind of a hierarchy of how excited people were about it. But PC World was not on the list. And we found some great people who were legitimately enthusiastic it's not like you can't find them but it's way harder to do it and i think about that sometimes when i think about apple and saying hey we want you to work on the mac which is our like fourth priority here and have 
you know, y- you want to get somebody who either says, hey, I'm working at Apple. This is a good place to start. We'll see where we go from here. Or they say, I love the Mac. It doesn't matter to me that you guys are working on the iPhone. Let me add it. I want to do that. I think the problem is that you're not going to get as many people who are going to say, I love the Mac. Let me add it. And they're rather going to say, do I really want to specialize in the Mac? I hear it's kind of fading away. I really don't want to take that job. I want to take this other job. So, you know, this is it's a challenge running a big company and dealing with talented people and trying to recruit people. And um, and and so that, I think, as an outsider, I look at it and I'm like, wow, what an incredible job it must be and an incredibly hard job it must be for yeah. hiring at Apple in general. And, and in Silicon Valley in general, I would say, because you do have such competition and you're trying to make these people happy and you can pay them well, but the problem is everybody else can pay them well too. So just paying them well is not enough. You have to pay them well and you have to make them feel like they're doing something that furthers their career and their, and keeps them interested. And everybody else is trying to do that too. And it's a hard problem. And, and it, when you, when the person who created the language that you're basing the future of your platforms on leaves your company to go work at essentially a competitor before it's considered to be complete yeah even if it's all above board and and this really is like Chris Latner wants to make a change that's better for his family, that's better for his career. He, he feels like there are no more uh, mountains to, to climb at Apple, and he wants to move on to something else. Even if that's all true, that's still really hard to swallow if you're Apple, and you can't, you can't look at it any other way. This is a key person building key technology who decided for whatever reason that the grass was greener somewhere else. And that's tough, because for every Chris Latner... Uh, there is, you know, there are a whole bunch of other people who are not as visible, who are in exactly the same uh, sorts of situations, at, at not just Apple, at every tech company. But it's just, it's, it's tough. It's tough. All right, moving on. For the second year in a row, um, you have uh, conducted the Six Colors Report Card of Apple's Year. Um, can you explain a little bit about what this project is and why you began it? Yeah, uh, so a year and a half ago, maybe, I got uh, an email uh, from somebody who, uh, well, it was Ko- it was Koivin, the designer who I think works at Adobe now, anyway, saying, I had this idea and I've never done it. <laughs> maybe you could do it now that you're doing six colors. And it is, ask a bunch of people who comment on Apple to give to give Apple a grade at the end of the year. Like, what did they do well? What did they do poorly? Um, would, you know, I think this would be cool, and I'd like somebody to do it. And if you think you can do it, then um, I'll, I'll stop going to other people and asking them if they would do it. And I said, sure, that sounds like a great idea. And, you know, four or five months pass, and it's November and of, of 2015, and, I, and I, I do a survey, and I email, you know, a couple dozen people and, uh, and do a report card about Apple. And so this year was the second year, second annual, Mike, second annual. I did think about saying that. <laughs> and I was able to, uh, I expanded the panel. I asked more people. And in the end, sort of like the people who responded are the people who were on the panel. But I did ask a, a, a larger group. I think it was almost 50 people I asked. And I got three dozen responses um, to grade Apple on a one to five scale 
and also uh, leave any comments they had. And the comments were really voluminous and thoughtful. And so I quoted them at length this year and even had a link to like all of their verbatim comments because some people wrote a whole lot of stuff. And, uh, and I thought it was interesting in just getting a read. Again, it doesn't mean anything on one level. The, the grades and the scores are arbitrary. Um, although a lot of stuff gets washed out by, uh, averaging out 37 scores. You, mm-hmm. you, you kind of get a, get a, an idea of the general vibe of the group. And, um, and I got to compare it with the votes last year, which was also really interesting because we got to see for the first time how the scores changed from year to year. Now, you sent me the report card, but I told you that I wasn't going to complete it because I wanted to give my scores on the show instead. So uh, what we're going to do today is uh, I want to break down, I want to go through basically all of the, the topics and all the categories. Um, all right. And I've pulled out some quotes that I think are, are interesting. So I want to talk through some of those and then I'll give my scores as well. Um, I know that you are, uh, you're, you're kind of standing back from all of this as the as the overseer, the adjudicator. Yeah, that was, my, that was sort of my goal was to uh, get everybody else's scores and comment on them. Uh, sort of like round them up, but not participate. So I didn't vote. So this year, um, we start with the Mac. The Mac was scored a C- minus with an average score of 2.6, a median score of 3. This is down from last year where it was scored a B overall. Uh, John Syracuse says the Mac was neglected. A horrid year, says Rob Griffiths. Hardware-wise, 2016 was an awful year for the Mac, says John Gruber. But Casey Liss, our lovely friend Casey Liss, who believes the situation isn't as bad as everyone thinks, says that he thinks that some of the angst is overblown. Now, my score for the Mac this year, uh, I think I'm going to give it a 2 out of 5. Mm-hmm. Now, I do not believe uh, that the future of the Mac is as bleak as um, many other commentators, many people in the list do. Um, I don't think that the Mac is dying i don't think that it's dead um i i don't necessarily believe myself that apple is going to be taking any drastic course of action next year um that is going to be overall detrimental i think that you know i I made a a prediction on connected that, that i will stand by that i don't think that the mac pro will exist next year in the way that we know it to but I, yeah. I feel that there is a chance that Apple uh, make a significantly more powerful iMac to take its place. Um, so I think that all of every, I, I, my personal belief is that next year everybody will be served by something. But this, that, you mean so you mean this year? This now, year, sorry, right? yeah, 2017. Yeah. I believe that in 2017 there will it will be a, a, a brighter future for the Mac. But 2016 was a terrible year of, of Mac product releases. Oh yeah. There were very few, there were many drawbacks, and the prices were too high. Too many products were left basically to just die on the vine, and the replacements kind of weren't sufficient. So, you know, the fact that there were releases got it a point, you know? So, like, I'm going to give it a 2 out of 5, uh, which uh-huh. I think is fair. Because, you know, I would say, like, my the MacBook that I bought, I really, 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 really like it a lot, but I know that it's my very specific needs for it. Um, which you know, so I can't grade it. I can't use that as my overall grading because I know that most people do not find the MacBook to be a sufficient replacement for any type of computer for them because it's underpowered. The one of the, a lot of the comments that I got were about 
They, you know, the MacBook, although it was just a small update that, you know, it was there, the MacBook Pro updates, although controversial, a lot of people have, you know, used them and like them yeah. or like things about them. And there were a lot of uh, positive, again, nothing was universally positive or negative. Everything that I found a positive comment about, I found a negative comment about mm-hmm. almost other than like Apple's commitment to privacy. Uh, but other than that. Um, everything was kind of split. So um, I will say that I was surprised at the number of people who said who cited Sierra as an example of positivity on the Mac, that they thought that that was also part of the sort of like among the good things Apple did this year, that they thought that was a fairly gentle software update and that they, they said positive things about it. And I thought that was interesting. There are other comments about it too that especially came back in the software section. I think two is a fair score. It was a bad year for the Mac. Bad Almost year. nothing yep. got updated. Um, I think, you know, the median score was a three. Um, most of the scores were a, were, a, were a three because that's the median, but a two... Uh, twos were very common as well, and the average was a two point six. So yeah, it was a it was what I called a C minus. It could have easily been, I suppose, a D plus kind of thing. But in terms of a, a grade point average, but you know, last year the Mac got a B. Last year people were feeling pretty good about the Mac, and this year they were not. Big surprise there, they were not. This week's episode is also brought to you by Aero. These days, everything in our homes requires an internet connection, and Wi-Fi is the foundation for all of it. Whether we're using streaming services to get our home internet, home entertainment, or we're connecting the internet things into our houses, you know, speakers, thermostats, front door locks, security cameras, everything in between. And what stitches them all together is Wi-Fi. But there are some things about Wi-Fi that are just fundamentally broken. Inconsistent speeds, it being slow and unresponsive, that there being, you know, different parts of your home that have differing connections speeds and strength and reliability to get the best possible connection you need a distributed system that can provide you with a connection all over your home in the past this has been something that's been really expensive to achieve but not anymore because with Eero you can install an enterprise grade wi-fi system in your home in just a few minutes it isn't just an extender each Eero has two radios inside that keep your connection fast and in sync on one network name you're not having a bunch of networks that you need to connect to. It's all one network. You simply download the Eero app to your iOS and Android device, and it walks you through the setup of each process. It's quick, easy, and painless. And the Eero app lets you manage your network from home from the palm of your hand, so you'll know how many devices are connected and at any given point, as well as the internet speed that you're getting from your service provider as well. Now, Jason, we've mentioned before, but uh, do you can you cast your mind back to the, the process of, of setting up your Eero's? And kind of maybe think about it, how it's been in regards to some other products like this that you've, you've installed in your home. Well, I, I would say that this is the most Apple-like of any of the um, Wi-Fi products that I've yep. set up in that it's got an app. Um, and you plug in the device and you go to the app and it says, let me, you know, let me find by let me find your Eero and let me configure it. And if there needs to be a software update, it does that. And then I plugged in the next one. It says... Hey, here's another one. Add that one in, and it really didn't take a whole lot to get it up and running. It was it was very simple, all from within the Eero app. So that's the kind of thing you want. This is, I'm sure, a very very complicated thing to achieve from a technical and software perspective. 
And to not show any of that to the user is, is always a big plus. The average house in the US is easily covered by between two or three euros. So a three pack is a good starting point. If you live in a large space, you can add up to 10. And because of their 30 day money back guarantee, you can always return one of them if you end up not needing it. So, you know, you get like a three pack and then maybe if you only need two at home, you just send one of them back and they'll refund you the price for that. If you want to find out more about the Eero and get one for yourself, just go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. And because you listen to this show, you can get yourself free overnight shipping when you decide to buy. Just select overnight shipping when you get to checkout and enter the code upgrade and you'll get that added for free. Thank you so much to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. Move on to the iPhone. Uh, the iPhone this year was graded a B plus or an A minus, an average and median score of four. Last year it was graded an A. Um, it yeah. is still uh, in the scorecard, the best performing category. Yes. Uh, Marco Arment said the iPhone SE was unexpectedly great. I think people forgot that the SE was this year. I think so that might I. have even boosted the scores further. <laughs> yeah, like a very long time ago. Uh, I know it was. The 7 and 7 Plus mostly overcame their seemingly pointless headphone jack removal with substantial <laughs> camera upgrades, small but welcome battery improvements, and surprisingly compelling new black finishes. Uh, yes. Christina Warren said, we definitely need the major redesign to happen in 2017. Apple can't count on its biggest competition blowing up upon itself two years in a row. I loved that comment. Um, yeah, she she went on in, in the verbatim. She goes on in a, a lot more detail. But, you know, basically it's like Apple. What she said was Apple really dodged a bullet here. Um, the Galaxy Note 7 actually looked fantastic, like the best phone. And it blew up like... <laughs> literally caught on fire yeah. to the point where it is now a joke and we like we said worst product of the year uh and what she says is that was really lucky for apple to have this year where they kind of did a third iteration of the iphone 6 uh in large part and they got away with it in part because their toughest competition uh basically fell on their face yeah. <laughs> but that's not going to happen again and apple can't count on that so game on for 2017 i thought that was a solid piece of analysis uh i'm gonna score the iphone a 3.5 you don't get to do that pick three or four mike pick right, three or four three all right now i would mostly expect the iphone to hit a four on this scale every year i think that in recent memory i would have graded all iphones a four right look at that I, that's yeah. where i would have gone because to hit a five out of five in today's market on the in the iphone would be a serious jump that I think is unfair for us to predict or desire from the company. For them to, to make the perfect iPhone or to make such a jump that it would go up to a 5, I think is unrealistic because of the age of the iPhone and the revision of the iPhone. Like, the original iPhone was a 5 out of 5, right? Like, because it was such a huge jump. It was the difference between, a, you know, the pro rating a product and rating sort of like Apple's performance in the product category. I think if mm -hmm. Apple revised all the iPhones uh, in 2017 and there was a brand new industrial design and the SE got a new design that was that was cutting sure, edge. Sure. And, you know, you could you could, I can see scenarios where I would give the iPhone a five out of five still if they did kind of like did everything and there was a major release. But you're right. It's a hard standard. Uh, not a lot of fives, not a lot of ones. Right. In, in reality, most people are going to in a five point rating system we're going to give a two three or a four yep. the median score for the iphone was a four um it went down slightly and i think that was sort of headphone jack and not not big changes kind of stuff but it's still a very good score because apple does a good job with you i just can't give a four to the seven i just i just can't do i get it, it. 
Um, you know, You'd be I was, left with three left over. So I got a lot of great features. We all got a lot of great features, but I said this before. Um, they took things away, and it doesn't yeah. seem to add any immediate benefit. There is no benefit for the headphone jack being removed. There just isn't. When we were in Hawaii, I was I, I was very clever. I brought uh, I brought my uh, my a little mini plug and a uh, and the adapter for the iPhone Seven, knowing that we would have a rental car that probably would have an aux jack in it, and we could use that to listen to music while we were driving around the island. Uh, and I also brought out of our uh, out of our car. I brought the uh, power adapter for the car power adapter, and uh, plugged them both in. And we were headed to our destination, and I realized, oh, I can't use both of these. So we listened to music for a while while we were running the GPS, and then I was worried about the battery. So then we stopped listening to music, and I charged it. Yep. And I just had that moment of like, now oh, there's the iPhone 7 for you. I, I can't do both of these things with my readily available connectors. I would need to buy some other adapter for this very specific use case. And so I just didn't. And uh, it was just one of those things. It's like most of the time it doesn't really bother me. But then every now and then I go, oh, right. Yeah, like, I want to just 7. compare that to the MacBook Pro real quick. Because there are a lot of the same frustrations there, right? Like they took all of the ports away that we were used to and they replaced them. So like every now and then you'll run into a scenario where like you need a charger and you don't have the charger, you only have the old chargers, or you have an SD card, you don't have an adapter, that kind of thing. So it's frustrating. But there is an argument to be made that USB-C will be better than what we had before, right? And that it's just going to take a little bit of time. There is no argument to be made about the removal of the headphone jack in that same way. Like, they just I just can't see one. It's like, oh, but lightning will be better in the future. No, like, Bluetooth already existed. Like, removing the headphone jack did nothing for Bluetooth. Like, the, the removal of the headphone jack is just a, a net negative. There is no repository to it. I just can't see one. And for that reason, this time, I will knock the iPhone for it. Next time, I'm not going to because it's just where we are. But I think for this phone, for me, that I, I, I've... After, over the time, I'm not angry about it anymore, but I just can't objectively say that the 7 was better than the 6 in every single way because it introduced a new thing, which was weird stuff, which we never had before. So 3 for me. Plus, you know, All right. I, I want a new design. I just, I just want one. I can't help it. Let's move to the iPad, though, because uh, I think I'm I, I'm more positive than most people, I think, in this. Uh, the iPad was graded a B-, an average score of 3.4, a median score of 3, with last year a B+, so it went down a tad. Marco says, again, uh, the release of the 9.7-inch iPad Pro is absolutely stellar, providing a huge upgrade of no downsides to the mainstream iPad. That's ideal for nearly everyone. Um an important person to comment on this would be Federico Fatici. And Federico said, um, Apple had little to show for iPad users in iOS 10. And while the 9.7-inch iPad Pro is loved by many people I know, I don't use it. And I still think the bigger Pro is better suited for my work. Uh, Sean Blanc said, my next MacBook will be an iPad Pro, which I love that. That's a great phrase. Uh, David Sparks, uh, host of Mac Power Users, said, having used an iPad as a laptop replacement for several months, it feels like the hardware is there, but the software still lags behind. iOS limitations with simple things like saving multiple files needs to be addressed for the platform to move forward. And uh, Rene Ritchie of iMore said, while Apple is finding its groove with technology like the Apple Pencil and the Smart Keyboard case, they're still not telling a compelling story. I don't agree yeah. with that from Rene, actually. Um, I think that's. I think it's really interesting that he thinks that it's uh, 
it's the story of the iPad is part of the problem. It is very uh, peculiar for me and Rene to sit on opposite sides of something like this. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I'm one of the only people that loved the supercomputer advertising campaign for the iPad Pro. Um, but I, I think that that package, the pencil, the smart keyboard, and the iPad is the ultimate computer in my mind for, for the vast majority of people that need a computer. So I am scoring the, the iPad a four. So I'm, I'm going to be scoring higher than the average because the 9.7-inch iPad Pro may be my favorite computer of all time. Uh, when paired in the configuration I have it with the Apple Pencil and the Logitech Create keyboard, even with the smart keyboard, though, uh, I struggle to prefer any device more than that one. Um, I love my 12.9, but the 9.7 is better in more scenarios for me than the 12.9. It's like I was just traveling over the weekend, and I had my 9.7 with me, and I was working on the train, the 12.9 on the train that I was on, it I, it would have been too cramped. Like I wouldn't have really had enough space for it um, on the, t- the tray table, but the 9.7 fits perfectly. Mm. I love it. Now, yeah. uh, uh, the only thing that was holding me back, because I would have given it a 5 this year, because I think the iPad took such a jump in hardware performance in, in 2016 with the, the, the 9.7 Pro, which I think took everything that the 12.9 had and made it better right the screen oh gosh that screen you know with with the true tone it's just incredible but the the poor performance on ios for the ipad this year held it back for me um the fact that all the ipad got was a version of uh and in some cases half-baked version of what the iphone got is not enough and i have hope for 2017 um, you know i'm still holding out for the spring event to bring fantastic new ipads as well as new great advancements to the software. But I have to grade 2016 a little lower than I would have wanted to. Yeah, I think that's the challenge of, of constraining to a calendar year is um, we also don't get to pick up, you know, the, the 10.9-inch iPad Pro, or sorry, 12.9-inch iPad Pro was last year, was was uh, was 15, not 16. So you can't, you can't calculate that into it. I, I think it's fair to ding Apple uh, both years, but, you know, now... We didn't know about the iPad Pro in, in 2015 when the first iPad Pro came out. But now that we, we've seen it, and in 2016, the 9.7 came out, you've got to ding it also, ding Apple for being so inconsistent with that product that the two iPad Pros are, are both like different mm-hmm. in a bunch of different ways. There's no top-of-the-line iPad. I'm hoping again for 2017 that we'll get two new versions of the iPad Pro at least and that they will be synced up on features like the True Tone display for one and USB 3 data transfer speeds and fast charging for another. But right now they're kind of like, you know, you can pick your poison. Um, and I like that 9.7 inch iPad pro, but I wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't switch to it. Right. Like I, I'm very happy with the larger iPad pro myself, although the 9.7 has a lot going for it. And I think is a much more mainstream product in the end, I agree with you comes down to the software. iOS 10 didn't do anything for the iPad essentially. And, you know, a couple little minor features, but there are glaring problems with the iPad features introduced in iOS 9 that weren't touched in iOS 10. And we can be hopeful for a 10.3 or whatever that addresses them, but that's going to be 2017. So it doesn't count. You know, I also believe if you're hoping for like consistency and clarity in the iPad line in the spring, I think it's going to get worse, honestly. But by Could. getting worse, we'll, we'll make the overall product line better. You know, this, this 10.9 inch iPad, I am 
very, I will use a Tim Cook term, very bullish on that thing existing. Um, yeah. But that will confuse the line more. <laughs> well, if if there are more options in the line, I'm, you know, I, I do think that could be uh, fine for the product line. My, my challenge is if you've got three iPad Pros and all of them have slightly different feature sets, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Now, it may be that we end up with a 12.9 and, and the 9.7 in sync and then this other one <laughs> that's out of sync. But that's I would I hope they all have True Tone displays. Mm-hmm. I would hope that they all have USB 3 speed if you know if they don't go to some weird new usb whatever or uh yeah i don't i don't even know what they're going to do but i would hope that they would sync as much of that as possible so we just know this is what an ipad pro does instead of now where it's like a little bit here and a little bit there so move on to the apple watch which was graded a b of an average score of 3.7 a median score of three up on last year where it was graded a c Yep. Dan Moran said, it's a testament to 2016 as a weird year when the Apple Watch is one of the bright spots in the company's lineup. Uh, Fraser Spears went on to say that WatchOS 3 essentially delivered a whole new watch. Uh, I'm going to go out on a, on a weird limb here, I think, and go over four Ooh. for the Apple Watch for 2016. The watch still has a way to go, um, but Apple delivered more than I was asking for and expected in 2016 from the Apple Watch which is why I've gone as high as I've gone. Um, they made some fundamental changes to watchOS that made it more usable, which clearly gave us the, the indication that the engineers spent time reworking after finding the pain points. Right, like It was so obvious that watchOS 3 was a response to living with the watch in its guy, in its like in its an original form. There were so many things that were improved by it, and the Series Two watch, which I do own now, I don't know if I mentioned it on this show. I've had one for a couple of months because mm. I had some issues with my Series One watch, which was one hundred percent caused by me. Um, the screen is fantastic. Uh, the battery life is nothing short of remarkable. Mm-hmm. And everything, everything feels even more snappy on the Series 2. Uh, so the pairing of the Watch Series 2 and OS 3 make a significantly better product than the Apple Watch Series 1 running at OS 2. Um, so I'm going to go over 4 on that. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it it is a, the the median score was a 3, but there are a huge number of 4s and 5s that came in because the average score is is, is very high. And I would say um, this was a very popular category. It was the highest uh, gainer among Apple uh, product categories in the survey. And, you know, Dan's quote really says it all, that people were, in a weird year, people were really happy about what happened to the Apple Watch this year. And the answer is new hardware and a really great operating system update that affected every model. And that's the watch OS three is, you know, again, we can say the, the OS they should have shipped on the watch, but they shipped the watch without it and they learned and watch OS three is exactly what it should have been all along, but they needed to learn. And we, you know, we could have told them, I think maybe on day one, like, Oh, that is not the way you want to use that, that button. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on that watch but they had to learn their lesson and and they uh they did and they they fixed it 
And so, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good story. There's much more to do. Um, Christina Warren, you know, made, made some comments in the survey that were very much like, this is not a category I think that, that is what anybody thought it would be. And it's proved to be a lot harder than people thought. And a lot of companies are kind of falling apart here. Apple is persevering and making their product better Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and focusing it more. And that's what more can you ask for? And then the last of uh, Apple's own made hardware uh, will be the Apple TV, which was graded a C minus this year with an average score of 2.7, a median score of three down from last year where it was graded a B. Yeah. Uh, John Gruber said, I don't expect new hardware every year, but I think the content situation needs to improve. And it didn't in 2016. Uh, Marco Arment said, Apple TV has effectively stood still in 2016, despite needing significant attention in UI, remote design, performance, bugs, and reliability. John Syracuse says that the Apple TV is more expensive and less capable than its competitors. And uh, Katie Floyd said, Apple just can't seem to bring the content deals together to make the Apple TV my primary box. Um, I'm going to yeah. score the Apple TV a two out of five. Mm-hmm. I like my Apple TV um, and you, well, I use it most days when I have a TV. Uh, I currently do not have a TV um, in our front room, uh, but when we get one in the next couple of weeks, um, the Apple TV will be hooked up to it and it will be the main way that we consume television. But our television consists of about three applications which exist on other connected TV boxes Yep. The Apple TV doesn't provide anything different or competitive for me that I can't get from any other device. Um, and they have an Apple have not unveiled anything in 2016 that has markedly improved my experience. If you're a cable customer and use one of the very few <laughs> services that have signed on for their single yeah. sign on, it might be a, an improvement for you. But Apple has done nothing. Like no, even like just basic content deals will not improve my experience. But like, the the there are just problems with navigation. I have bugs in applications. Like there is nothing to make my experience any better. But it doesn't mean I have any different feelings about the product. But the Apple TV for me is like, it's effectively just a dumb box which I can get Netflix and YouTube right. through. And there are there are much cheaper dumb boxes out there yep. that work just as well. And the only the only thing it really does, I mean, if you're an Apple user, uh, the reason that you buy an Apple TV and not a Roku or a Fire TV or something like that is one, you've got existing movies that you bought on iTunes, and this is the only way to get them. Or two, you need to do AirPlay, and this is the only way to do that. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, there there are. AirPlay apps for other platforms, but they're they're really not. I don't recommend them. So uh, those. Th- so I just got a Fire Stick. Yeah, I, I have two of those. I was a, I was away this weekend and needed to watch something in a hotel room. It's a long story. It's not worth getting into. Uh, and the easiest thing to do was just to pick up a Fire Stick from for a local store. Um, yeah. I don't really like the UI of the Fire Stick any of uh, the Fire. Like I don't know if there's like differences. Like we didn't get the Fire TV. I got the stick, and it's not the one that has the voice remote. Like I don't know. I just I just bought one. I don't know. I just got what was available. The, the UI is not very great, but frankly, it has the three apps that I'm looking for plus Amazon's stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to connect both of these things, but it might be that for me, uh, we may use the Amazon one more because it's the one thing that has everything we need. 
Yeah, it's uh, right. And you mentioned Amazon. Amazon is not on the Apple TV, so you have to airplay that if you want to get Amazon stuff on your TV through an Apple TV. Yep. And you know, I think I think uh, this this one took as big a fall as the Mac did, and it's not surprising, right? There's no hardware updates here. There's no relevant software updates here. It was already kind of behind when it shipped. I mean, remember, we we thought it was shipping like nine months or a year later than it was supposed to already, and then they didn't do anything to it again. And the competitors, the competition here is tough. And Apple TV, I think more like more than any other Apple product, feels like a product that exists to um, take advantage of customers who are in Apple's ecosystem. It feels like, you know. People who criticize Apple, they knock Apple a lot for being like uh, uh, overcharging suckers who use their products and and are just suckers for Apple's marketing. And you know, they, there's a lot of these stories that they that they tell about this. Um, the Apple TV is close to being like that, though. The Apple TV is a lesser product that costs more, does less. And the only reason you really need it is because you've been locked in by some other part of Apple's ecosystem, because Apple's devices don't will, will only do you know only do AirPlay, and no and they won't let anybody else's boxes do AirPlay. And so if you want to do that, or if you want access to iTunes content, these are your choices. And that's not a that's not a product. That's not a product at that point. That that's a um, and they made a big deal of the apps and there are some apps and some of the apps are nice but again most of the apps I use on the Apple TV are video apps and those apps exist like there's a Plex app for the other platforms it's like you created this whole new thing called TV and couldn't get Netflix to sign on like you're failing yeah. on all fronts with this like you, every, every yeah. advantage that Apple tried to push forward this year with the Apple TV has huge holes in it Right, TV couldn't uh, and, and, get Netflix. Single sign-on basically got any cable companies. And, and I will say one of the clarifying things about doing thinking about calendar years like this survey does is, and you've mentioned it a couple of times, it it squelches all track record and optimism. Yeah, right. Like those are out of it. It's like what happened in 2016. It's like January 1st to December 31st. Like that's all you have. You can be bullish about the future of the Mac or pessimistic about it. You can be bullish about the future of Apple TV or pessimistic about it. But what happened in 2016? And the answer with Apple TV is nothing. So, and it was already behind. So I think it's fair. All right. So next up, uh, all of the the categories are software services, initiatives, that kind of thing. So this is a good point to take a break and thank Encapsula for sponsoring this week's episode. They are the cloud service that makes your website faster and safer. And they do this by employing a worldwide network that can inspect Every single packet that comes and goes from your website, blocking attacks against your site whilst delivering content to your customers faster. Every single day, websites of all sizes are attacked by giant botnets, which might scrape website content with attempts to break databases, or maybe with denial of service attacks, which attempt to bring websites down. On the performance side, your visitors want your website to load quickly and reliably. So if these types of nefarious things are occurring to your site, that might affect that and then push your customers and, and visitors and users away. Or if your site goes down or is unavailable, people will go somewhere else. Put simply, Encapsula prevents and solves these problems 
because their global network will filter out and block all the bad stuff trying to approach your website whilst leaving all of your stuff, all of your content unaffected and your customers able to access you as if nothing bad was ever happening. This is what Encapsula does. They stop the bad stuff. Nobody wants bad stuff. Stop the bad stuff. Go to Encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. And you will get one whole month of service for free. So go there. Go to that website, Encapsula.com slash upgrade. You'll claim your free month and also find out some more information about what they offer. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. Somebody's going to write in and say, no, I like the bad stuff. Well, those people are wrong, Jason. They're They're, wrong. They get the enemy discount. They get the enemy discount, which is uh, they have to pay for other people's months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cloud services graded a C in the report card. (laughs) Wait for it. That's that's good. That's up. (laughs) People are feeling slightly more exciting, (laughs) excited about Apple's cloud services. Average score of three point one, median score of three. I have my theory about this. Uh, Why is this way? Last year, uh, graded C minus or a D plus. Christina Warren said. Our Apple's Christina. Christina went a bit. Um, she she started asking questions. She she kind of went a bit philosophical here. Our Apple's cloud service is finally good. Is the question I asked myself. The answer is almost. Um, and in the same vein, Federico said it's difficult to provide a unifying comment on the overall state of Apple services. They still feel just too disconnected from each other with varying degrees of success. They're getting better, but perhaps too slowly. Now I have given Apple's cloud services a three. Um, and it's because I'm mostly indifferent. And I think that's yeah. why they are three, because it is indifference. So I use quite a lot of them. I use calendar, mail, music, and photos primarily. Like, I use those extensively. They are they are services that I use. Um, I mean, iCloud stuff is, you know, iCloud Drive when it's going on in the background, but I don't really think about those. And that's kind of the thing with Apple services, is they mostly do what I expect them to do, but excel in nothing. Like, my mail is delivered, <laughs> right? But I don't get, like, Gmail stuff of sorting things. My mail is delivered, and I can enter my calendar things, but don't things don't get automatically added on server-side. I have to use Apple's calendar application to try and service anything, you know, to surface mm-hmm. some appointments. But if I get a, uh, you know, like what happens with Google services, if I get a, an Amazon email, I don't automatically get a tracking link put into my google search or now screen like they don't do any you know the the photo stuff i can search for horses and mountains but i don't get a google assistant notification telling me oh here's this album we made for you automatically which is of this trip that you just made like or or like oh here's a gift we just made of these few photos so much of what of what apple does your your photos app should be giving you that not cloud services the way right. Apple structures it, your Photos app should be giving you that. Not that the cloud but services not, can't; they can't do that. They can't talk to each other. It's not surfaced, and I'm not, I'm not told about it, right? Like Google, Google does a really great way of doing a lot of this stuff and telling me about it. And, and my feeling is because Google knows they can be consistent no matter where you're looking at it, and, I, and, I just, and Apple not, can't be. I'm not sure that that is fair to lay on Apple's cloud services. I think maybe that because of the way Apple has structured okay. its data, that is a that is a software issue. And the same would go for for um, like your mail client should be getting mail from your travel or from Amazon and recognizing that it's a 
a, a flight or it's a package to be tracked and doing something with it. Okay. Because that's what they have to do because Amazon or Google is essentially running an app on Gmail that does that. And, and Apple isn't letting itself look at your mail. So the software needs to be able to do that. And that's, that's the, the challenge is that a lot of the times that that doesn't happen either. Right. That, All right. And it is magical. I get, I, I buy, I just bought a, uh, a flight to LA for next month. And you know what happens? <laughs> I get my receipt from Southwest Airlines in my Gmail and uh, the flight's on my calendar. That's it. It's already there because Gmail knows that that is a flight I'm taking. All right. I'll agree with that. That is a fair criticism. But I, I still will stand by my point that Apple services just do what I expect them to do. They, they, well, they I mean, don't do anything. They, they don't have any, Apple don't have any, haven't introduced a service this year which is life changing for me. They haven't they haven't given me anything new. They've they've stabilized things, um, and they say they made some of the client stuff better. Like some of the things that sit on top of iMessage is better. But there's nothing there's nothing that's making me go wow Apple services. I'm just indifferent yeah, to them. I think what I would I turn that around and say indifference is a huge step up for Apple. Yes, which From is why outrage. it's a three and not a two, which is why I probably would have given it before, right, for inconsistency. I would probably say that if I had to choose, I would choose Apple getting their services to be reliable and that Apple is still fighting against the perception. In fact, several of my panelists refuse to answer this question at all because they refuse to use Apple's services because they don't trust them. And my message to them was basically, I think you might want to give them a try because I have not been bitten by an Apple service in a while now. I think iCloud Photo Library is quite good I agree. at what it does. That said, I will also, now I'm going to do exactly what you just did. Because Apple has this privacy approach to the server data that its servers can't look at it apple needs to be better on the software side to do the same sort of magic that google can do up in the server and they're not and the example i would give from this year is yes photos now knows about horses and mountains but does it sync all of that up to the cloud that metadata so that you don't have to reanalyze your photos on every device no it just doesn't do that and that is part of the service component of that right so i agree Right, because it should sync that metadata, and it doesn't. But I think this was a positive result from Apple because, and I know it's a C, right? I mean, it, it, it's not a really great score. It's a passing grade. But in the context of where Apple has been with cloud stuff, what I look at here is that Apple seems to be getting out, like Christina said, like the, the, they're almost good at this point. They're not a joke they're not unreliable. They're not like, well, this is fine, but this one you shouldn't even touch. It's like, there are still some rough spots, but it seems to me like Apple has really stabilized the cloud services stuff. The next step, though, is it's got to be better than acceptable, right? It's got to do things uh, working in in in, uh, uh, in tandem with the software on the devices. It's got to start doing things that are kind of delightful, and there's not a lot of that right now. HomeKit. Uh, okay. Graded a, a D plus of an average score of two point four, median score of D. Uh, sorry, median score of two last year. It was it was graded a D. Uh, yeah, you Brent, went from a D to a D plus. Congratulations. I'm not really sure how. <laughs> uh, Brent Simmons said, "This is a thing I don't want Apple to spend its time on." Um, I disagree with Brent vehemently, but I know where he's coming from. 
Um, I, you know, I assume that Brent is wishing that Apple would spend its time um, on the products that they're successful at. Um, but I echo, <laughs> Mark, seriously, no pun intended, Marco's comment, which is that HomeKit offerings continue to trickle out too slowly, and Apple has no answer in sight to the Amazon Echo and the Google Home. Uh, Apple's best hope for home automation currently is that it doesn't take off, which is a terrible place to be. And Lex Friedman said, I have various smart devices, and not one of them integrates with Apple stuff. Meanwhile, my Echo can control just about everything in my house. Um HomeKit for me gets the lowest score that I have given Apple for this scorecard, which is a one. Um, <laughs> does HomeKit really exist? It does. I actually now have a couple of HomeKit devices in my house. I'm being facetious. You have to work at it. You have to work at it, Mike. So I check the <laughs> Apple Store page frequently for new HomeKit devices, like in the Apple Store app, and it never changes. Like there aren't, there don't seem to be. New things, at least, that Apple is selling with HomeKit integration in them. I think they're falling behind. Um, I think that they, that whatever it is that Apple is is making these companies do is 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 too much um, to try and get integrations. And and I know it's security, but it may be that they're you know they're making they're making people jump through hoops and or inc- subsequently increasing the prices of their products because of the chips or whatever it is that Apple requires. Um, I think that if Apple is very serious about this, then they, they need to try and make this easier for people. And I, and I know that these products exist, right? I know that they exist. But let me tell you something. A lot of the ones that exist, I can't buy. Sure. They exist in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. They do not exist in the United Kingdom. So from my perspective, HomeKit is basically a bit of a disaster. Like... I was talking to Matt Alexander and he was telling me that he's just bought these new smart plugs or something called the iHome um, and that the iHome is uh, it works with the Echo and with HomeKit. Now, I looked it up and they yeah. just don't sell them here. This is not a product that exists in the UK. So this continues to be another problem for them, I think. Well, yeah, I think that going from a D to a D plus really says everything about HomeKit, which is that it got better but it's not it's not good enough i think i get where brent is coming from on one level i disagree because i feel like if you view the alternative as being apple builds a whole bunch of smart home tech itself this is better because it's a third-party initiative where apple is just saying we don't want to build this stuff but i think more realistically and this is what brent's getting at this is one of those things where perhaps Apple didn't need to build its own thing and could have used some existing technology. Yes. And, you know, Apple has done some things to certify the, the HomeKit hardware that y- there are arguments to be made that in terms of, like, security of devices of, inter- of the Internet of Things, things that are not going to get hijacked and turned into botnets and all of that, that Apple's layer of scrutiny on HomeKit is maybe a good thing. Um, but... You can also make the argument that maybe Apple should have just let the market work this out and not do what Apple does, which is create its own spec, create its own licensing system, and make people basically come to Apple with their products and ask for them to be approved and blessed. (laughs) It was like they barged their way in and said, 
hey, you have to come to us and get certification for because we've just started something. If you want access to our users. But the reality is that they the users do have access to other things because you can just download apps that give you access to these other smart home platforms. Apple's leverage here isn't spectacular. It's Siri and the the home app and the you know control center home thing. That's their leverage as opposed to just like downloading an app for some other home tech. So it's not, they don't have great leverage and their story isn't great. Um, it is starting to take off and it may yet take off, which is why it's definitely in that, you know, D plus of like, well, the rocket turned on, but it still hasn't left the pad. We'll see what happens next. But, um, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm with Lex too, which is that my, my Amazon echo can control just about everything in my house and, uh, home can't, and so, and, and, you know, that's, that's in this state of internet of things, smart home kind of devices, I think being able to absorb and control anything is a way more important place to be than building a walled off subset of tech. And that's what HomeKit is. So if I could buy a smart home thing that was HomeKit compatible and other things, I would probably try to do that just because that gives me an extra bit. Like the Hue light bulbs I have are HomeKit, you know, and the LifeX light bulbs I have are not. But if, uh, but I'm not going to let it rule my world. Like if, if, if it doesn't work with my Amazon Echo, I'm not going to buy it. If it doesn't work with if this, then that, I'm probably not going to buy it. But if it doesn't work with HomeKit, meh, I'll probably buy it anyway. Hardware reliability. Um, Apple scored highest. This is the highest scoring category overall, right? Or um, actually, it's the second highest after environmental and social issues, which we'll get to. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, grade A minus, average score 4.1, median score 4. Down a little bit last year, it was uh, an A. Dan Moran yeah, says. Slightly. In general, I feel that hardware quality and reliability has been one of Apple's strongest points. And then Susie Oaks of Macworld says, it's disheartening to read story after story about MacBook Pros having graphics issues, iPhone 6S having battery issues, iPhone 6 Plus having touch problems. Um, I hope the hardware quality isn't slipping. So two very different uh, responses there. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go for four for this one as well. Um, In my opinion, there has been little change in actual hardware quality year over year. There are always bugs. There are always... X gates. Um, every every big Apple product has some kind of uh, critical flaw, uh, but it, this is normal. Nothing's catastrophic, right? Apple stuff has issues, but the overall quality of the products I don't think has changed. Like from a hardware perspective, everything is fine. And you know, like depending on what you consider hardware reliability, um, I, I can't really personally see much of a change year over year. You know, there are things that maybe don't work the way that you want them to, but it's not because they're flawed. It's just because they were designed that way. And I don't think design decisions goes goes into reliability. I kind of subscribe to your theory, which is there are always gates, and there are always going to be, with any volume like Apple has, there are going to be issues, but it sure seems like nobody was talking about problems with Apple hardware, other than Stephen Hackett and his hissing iPhone 7. Um, but but, they're, they're, you know, but they're, that ended up being that there actually wasn't really a huge problem with that. Like, it blew yeah, up to be a thing. Because there were like five of them out there or whatever, but yeah, that and that that's, I think that's your point and I agree with it, which is there are always little things here and there, but I don't feel like that was a big story this year about Apple having to deal with hardware problems. And when we consider the competition... <laughs> Uh, yeah, 
I think I think it's it's fitting that Apple yeah. got a pretty good score here. Like Stephen's phone was hissing. Apple did take it back and they did replace it, and his next one was fine. He got a dud, right? It seems, and maybe other yeah. people did as well. But that happens with every product. Like there are always going to be those problems. But it wasn't that every single phone hissed because they didn't. Software quality was graded a B minus, an average score of 3.4, median score of 3. Last year, a C plus, so we have an increase. Yes. Casey List said, things aren't as ugly as they were in the past, but I still feel like we're not in the Snow Leopard glory days. Uh, Rich Mogul said, there was a mixed bag across the platforms, but, an ov- but overall an improvement from the past year or two. Federico Vaticci of Mac Story said, considerably better than years ago, thanks to the optimization that went into iOS 9 and iOS 10. Still not perfect, still room to improve, but not as traumatic as 7 and 8 were. Um, we just mentioned him. Stephen Hackett said um, that whilst Apple's core OS is stable and secure, I think the company could be doing a lot with first-party apps to make them more appealing. And yep. uh, the, the developer of uh, Peacock, James Thompson, said improved in friend 2016, of front of the show, over a pretty poor 2015, heading in the right direction at least. I'm going to give out another four this year uh, for this because uh, it wasn't just the same. There was an improvement, but it wasn't completely knocked out of the park. I would say that overall iOS has been solid this year, um, where maybe some of the previous versions of iOS in recent years have not been when they've shipped. Um, I feel that 10 was fine. Um, that you know It wasn't 7, it wasn't 8, right? Like it was totally fine. But I will underscore that I am sad to see advancement, like little advancement on the iPad. And uh, that holds back what could have been a five. You know, if I would have got what I wanted on the iPad, I'd be like, great. For me, personally, software quality is fantastic. Uh, I would just say I haven't installed Sierra um, and I have no intention to uh, because I don't like to be on the most recent version of the OS on my production machine. Um, I make sure that my security patches are in place, but I don't I don't upgrade. Um, so yeah, I have little to say on Sierra because I've, I've never actually used it. Right. Well, I, I think Apple, um, somebody, and it might've been Brent Simmons said, you know, get, let's get off the Mac once a year treadmill, which I kind of agree with. I feel like it never, we never will. I feel like we never will because iOS is going to be once a year and they're going to want to sync the features up. But I do think that Sierra was a mild enough update that I think what we're seeing is Apple, not trying to make every Mac OS release a a major release, but they still have to keep pace with iOS features and, and try to stay in yeah. sync. And there so, has, to, has to be yeah. a revision of Mac OS in some form every year if iOS continues to be that. Because otherwise, iOS will have features that can't communicate with macOS and that will cause myriad issues and many more people complaining and saying that iOS is getting all of the attention. So there needs to be, I mean, Sierra could have and should have gone a little bit further when it comes to messages, um, stickers at least, maybe not apps, but stickers should have better uh, features than it currently does, honestly, I think. Yeah. Um, but they have to give some support because as somebody who is still using what what version am i using yosemite i think it was yosemite for sierra right nope el capitan el capitan that's what i'm on el capitan i get lost i'm the captain the cats i could keep track of but the the california place names they're lost on me i I can't like reconcile them in my brain (laughs) 
your your mind is still in Mavericks. Yeah, I, I, I just can't. I just, I just can't get my head around them. Anyway, like, so as somebody who's still using that that version, was it LCAP fan I'm using? Did we establish that? Yes, LCAP, yeah. Like, Messages is a disaster, right? Like, it's just so bad. So it, they had to give it something because it's a nightmare um, trying to use all of the features. And, you know, I still get just blank Twitter links with no expansion and stuff like that. Yeah, so right, there has right. to be something every year. But I agree with you that it doesn't have to be, here's 20 new features for the Mac. It can be like, here's this new thing I wanted to add, plus parity with iOS. And I think it's important yeah. that they continue on and that you're right. And they can roll features out across the year. Like they, I mean, the Touch Bar, that that's hardware, you know, and Touch ID. Touch that's ID, all, yep. You know, hardware-tied features. The, those are OS features, too, and they rolled those out with the hardware. So they can roll stuff out on the Mac on a kind of ongoing basis, too, and then maybe have the milestone versions be really about um, about syncing sort of the major, you know, major Apple platform features for the year. I, I like what, um, I mean, I like all these quotes. I pick them, right? I you pick quotes out of the ones that I picked, right? So I did the first set of picking here, uh, and so of course I like what what Stephen Hackett said. I think that's an important point. I think Apple's core OSs are pretty stable, like he said. I think he makes a really good point about first party apps that a lot of Apple's apps seem kind of adrift. Like one of the things that happens when you lose focus is you lose focus on some of the stuff at the periphery and the apps. I mean, you mentioned messages, but there are lots of apps that I feel like are like that, where it's just like, it's fine, but there are other alternatives that are, that show you that they could probably be better and there could be more innovation on the, on the app front too. But it's fine. I mean, again, there were a few years ago, we were really up in arms about how Apple software quality was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And, this, you know, it, it, the perception seems to be in general that it's getting better. Not like Casey said, maybe the glory days, whether they were real or not, but a perception like this is not the hot button issue for 2016 anyway. Developer relations graded a C plus, uh, average score of 3.1, median score of 3. Last year it was graded D. Marco, this is the biggest gainer of any category in the survey. Positive gainer. Yeah, it went up, what, like a full grade and a, and a whatever you'd call it? Grade and a half, yeah. Grade and a half. Uh, Phil Schiller's transition to leading the App Store has brought many welcome improvements, said Marco Ahmed, but communication is still poor. The Dash situation ended poorly and search ads have been controversial and alienating for many independent developers. Uh, John Gruber said, I think the App Store situation is improving, but still has ways to go, so it's far to go. And Brent Simmons said, the Swift team is notably engaging. I'm going to give this a two. Um, and the reason is, is I don't see a lot of these benefits in my day-to-day work. I don't uh, I don't feel it, right? It doesn't, it doesn't touch my work. All I can comment is the things that I see. And the Dash story, which wasn't something that we covered with any significance, but it was when the developer of a, of a documentation application called Dash, um, there was like a, a back and forth, which resulted in he said, she said, and their application being removed. Um, I think that Apple did a really bad job handling this. Um, the phone call that was leaked, I think, was terrible. Um, and and sounded condescending to me. Uh, I I really think that it was a a bad mark from them this year. And I I pers- without knowing all I know is what I feel. And I feel that Apple didn't do the right thing 
with this. They they didn't resolve it in the way that it maybe should have been resolved. And again, all I can comment on is what I saw. I don't know the full story, but that that for me was like that just that just wasn't good. It just didn't look good, and it was a big public thing. Um, and I think that the the right thing to do from a PR perception was to deal with that slightly differently to the way that they did. So I'm going to go over two developer relations. So the reason these scores are so much higher than next year or than last year is that um, Phil Schiller taking over the perception has been Phil Schiller taking over the App Store stuff uh, has made a lot of things better. Like Marco said, that the turnaround is a lot faster. And then you know Brent mentioned the the the, the Swift team being very engaging and and communicating in ways that maybe things were kept quiet at Apple earlier and they wouldn't speak. But I think most of the scoring improvements here are about the fact that a lot of the complaints that people had about the App Store uh, were addressed this year. Not to say that there weren't some issues, and the Dash story is an example of that, but um, but I think generally what used to be a major complaint point, I think everybody wanted to basically give a little bit of applause that it seems like some uh, some of the fundamental basic problems that the, that App Store app submissions and the like have had, and the the decrease of turnaround time, frankly, bottom line, like which should be kind of job number one, has improved dramatically in the past year. So that's that's what's going on here, I think. And then the final category, which I spoiled earlier, which is the highest overall score, is environmental and social issues. It's graded an A minus with an average score of four point two, median score of four. Um, it has declined slightly. Last year it was an A, um, which is interesting to me. Uh, so Marco Arment said on this, uh, Tim Cook's handling of the FBI phone unlocking controversy was stellar and may well go down as a highlight of Cook's tenure, tenure as a CEO. Federico Vettici said, um, no one seems to care about these things as much as Apple, and he gives major respect on all fronts. John Malt said that Apple's presentations this year were better in terms of diversity. It was nice to see, although the company still has a long way to go in diversity of upper management. And carrying on from this, Aline Sims said, the diversity statistics seem to be barely shifting year over year, and Aline would love to see Apple implement paid internship and mentorship programs for underrepresented minorities. Um, that even though uh, leadership turnover is low, but Aline would like to hope to see more types of people represented in the leadership as well. So I'm going to give this a four again. Um, the FBI case was handled tremendously. And, and I feel if this is the place that that exists, I think that Apple, uh, that, that it will significantly improve any score, right? Like if this is the category that that is going to exist in, then I will say that that was a, a really, really big thing for Apple this year from a positive perspective. And I agree that diversity is getting better, but only in what we're seeing. So what Apple shows us on stage, the people that they show us on stage, the people that come out to make presentations, I think we can agree that that's better than it's ever been. But the positions are the same as they were before, is my assumption. But they're just changing who they show. So yeah. where the you know where we may have. Um, Bazama St. John uh, come out to talk about Apple Music, she's just replacing Eddie Q. So like he's still there doing that ultimately, but they've changed the person that they're bringing out on stage. So they're doing a better job of showing us the diversity, but as Aline points out, the diversity statistics are not shifting um, in in significant numbers. So. Right. They, are, they seem to be shifting, but it's very slow. 
Yeah. Very slow. So I, you know, I would personally say that like from what I can see in that and from what I hear uh, from people that, that are really deep into this stuff, that would mark them down. But the, the, the way that they handled the FBI thing would mark them up. And plus, you know, things in regards to environment, like the actual environment of the world, um, Apple just remain consistent, which is consistently great. But they remain consistent year on year for that. So I'm going to go right for. Okay. So my kind of final thoughts on all of this is that having looked at all of this, um, you know, I'm not unique in thinking that this was a weird year for Apple, but it wasn't an out-and-out disaster. And seeing things in this category, you know, I, I am remarked at how many four out of fives I've given. But the thing is that some of the places where there would have been higher scores didn't get those this year. And that some of the things that you would expect to have high scores had lower scores than, than I would have expected to give them. But I do think that 2016 is kind of just a bump in a road in a few areas. Like I'm optimistic for a better showing in 2017. Um, and I'm hoping that Apple uh, will prove my optimism to be correct. Right. And that's the beauty of the calendar constraint again, is mm-hmm. you can say, wow, that was a bad year. Let's try another year. <laughs> Were you um, in, in your uh, on the site? You had some graphs and some charts, and I'm going to include a link in the show notes, of course, to the report card. Were you surprised by any of the changes year over year? Not really. I mean, I I think this is a an interesting quantification of what uh, mostly we knew, like that the Mac had a really bad year. I think dissatisfaction with the Apple TV. I think uh, if you thought about it, you probably would have expected it, but it was uh, it was strong. That was a clear signal from these three dozen people. The I the friendliness toward the Apple Watch. I'm I think is deserved given it was a really good year for the Apple Watch. You got hardware turnover and a really good operating system update. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was not surprised if anything, I think I was a little surprised that, that there, it was not quite as negative as I really expected. I thought, I mean, the Mac took a huge tumble, but I thought it could have been even worse. And, um, so yeah, but I, I think one of the values of doing a survey like this is that you're sort of seeing what the conventional take on Apple's year was, Mm -hmm. because like I said, you'll get people voting a one or a five, but in the end it will all kind of wash out to a, uh, you know, this average score of of uh, what most people sort of thought it was. And I think that's valuable. Um, it's not a single personal opinion. It's more like, what's the trend? And in fact, you could argue that somebody, you know, that the average score for a particular product was such, and you could say, no, 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 that's totally wrong. That's just groupthink. That's the conventional wisdom. It's like, yeah, you might be right, but I think there's some value in seeing what was the conventional wisdom about 2016? What what in general did people think? And then in the details, you can see that there was a lot of disagreement on the details. And that's why I put the quotes in. I love it. I'm pleased that you do this, and I look forward to next year's already. Do you have, like, if you were gonna, if you were a betting man, what categories do you think would see some big change in, for 2017? Like if you were, if you were gonna put, if you're gonna put some bets down on this, what would you go um, for? I'm gonna say the iPad is gonna go up because I do think they're gonna re- revise all of the iPad, iPad Pros, and do a software update that addresses the iPad at some point in 2017. Mm-hmm. Whether it's whether it's iOS 10.3 or it's iOS 11, um, so I think the iPad has a chance to go up. Um, I also would say that I think the Mac has a chance to go up if Apple does a you know standard kind of battery of Mac releases and show that 2016 was an aberration. Um, 
But I think if I had to put it on one that has the best chance to kind of rebound um, or progress, I think it will be the iPad. What do you think about the iPhone? I don't know. I mean, it already has a very good score. I think that even if Apple comes out with a really nice new iPhone and a nice version of iOS, I'm not sure that that score is going to move particularly up. I think it could go down if there's a an iPhone 7S that looks just like the 7 and there's not a whole lot more in there other than, you know, the usual kind of camera improvement, faster processor sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that could that could make it go down. But even then, the iPhone's riding so high right now that I'm not sure that a boring iPhone year is going to be um, considered a bad iPhone year by enough people for that to come down a lot. All right, so we're running a little bit long today, so we're going to skip Ask Upgrade this week. If you want to send in your Ask Upgrade questions, as always, we'd really appreciate it. Just send us a tweet with the hashtag Ask Upgrade, and we will attempt to answer your questions on the show. We'll pick that up next week. But I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors again for this week's show, Encapsula, Eero, and Blue Apron. If you want to find us online, there's a few places you can do that. Uh, you can go to sixcolors.com and the incomparable.com for Jason's work elsewhere. But of course, he is a host of a plethora of shows on Relay FM, and obviously this one, Free Agents, Liftoff, and Clockwise. Jason is also on Twitter. He is at Jsnell. I am uh, I Mike on Twitter. I M Y K E, and I host many shows, uh, many shows, all the great shows, all the great shows, uh, some of the great shows uh, on Relay hmm. FM. There are many great shows How humble. that I am not a part of. Many, many great shows, but I'm also a host of many of them. Uh, we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Bye, everybody.